0: man, we're glad you're here. If you're new, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. We hope you feel at home. Thanks for being here. You're here at a really important time. We're in a series called True North, and we are together as a church looking at hard-hitting, sensitive issues where culture really seems to have lost its way. And We're talking about issues where there doesn't seem to be a lot of conversation happening right now around these topics. And in previous weeks, we've talked about issues like, hey, who is Jesus? We've talked about racial reconciliation. We talked about finding our way through politics. In the future, we're going to talk about technology and sexuality. And today, we're going to be dealing with the issue of gender identity, and just so you know, our church has eight campuses and all of the campus pastors come together every year together with our senior pastor, Mike Glenn, and we lay out series for an entire year. What is the Lord leading us to teach and preach on to our churches. And as we look at this series in particular, and we think about some of the sensitive things that we're gonna talk about even today, either Mike Glenn and the other campus pastors really trust one another to deal with these sensitive topics with care and biblical accuracy and attention and detail, or Mike Glenn just wants us to walk a plank in front of y'all, you know? It's really one or the other, but, but to be honest, I'm, I'm actually delighted to be a part of a church that's willing to lean into tough conversations and who's trying to address a constantly changing culture that seems confused with the word of God that never changes. So I'm grateful to be a part of that team. And our mission as a church is to engage the whole person with the whole gospel, anywhere, anytime, with anybody, with anybody with with anybody regardless of what that anybody is struggling with is in their past or might be in their future and today as we talk about gender identity you may feel a little nervous and i know there's kids in the room and i just want you to know i plan to take great care and and i won't talk today any different than i would talk to my own kids in my own house i may use a few terms but i won't define them we've emailed every parent That has a child in our K through 12th grade ministry that's registered with us. Additional resources and details on how to have some of these tough conversations in your home when you feel ready and the time is right. We want to assist you. You, as the parent, are the primary pastors, but we want to come alongside of you. Today is not the talk about sexuality. We're talking about manhood and womanhood and gender identity and what it means. But here's what I can promise you. If you're not having these conversations with your kids or students, someone is. And we believe the two safest and best places to have them is in the church and in the home. And like it or not, the issue of gender identity is upon us. It's not coming one day, it's here. Time Magazine recently released an article that says, in their opinion, we perhaps have reached the transgender tipping point. The Boy Scouts um, just allowed the first transgender child to enter into their ranks. Vogue magazine did an expose on Andrea Pajik, talking about her. If you remember a recent ESPY award, they, the author Ash Award for Courage was given to now Caitlin Jenner. In Australia, we now have, or Australia has now named the first transgender priest National Geographic recently gave two issues discussing the gender revolution. If you go on Facebook, now there are 71, 71 different gender options that you can choose. So the issue of gender identity is here. And you may be wondering, Wade is... It's probably just mainstream media. How how big of a deal is it really in our culture? How big is gender dysphoria? Well, again, I tell you every week, I love it when you ask questions I'm prepared to answer. Statistically, point zero zero three percent of our culture struggles with gender dysphoria. How much is that? Great question. That's approximately 700,000 people in the United States that have self-identified as struggling with gender dysphoria. And most would say the number is actually much higher than that, because once a person self-identifies, there is a much higher rate of depression and suicide for those who disclose their struggle. Because here's what's true. Historically, both families and the church families have often responded in both helpful and hurtful ways. And you and I are often quite okay with people who sin, just as long as their sin isn't different than ours. But 100% of us who are followers of Jesus and who call the church at Nolansville home, we are responsible to engage the whole person with the whole gospel, anywhere, anytime, and with anybody. So not just a percentage of the world. No, we engage anybody, And everybody who's alive on planet Earth bears the image of God and is valuable to Jesus. Therefore, everybody and anybody we encounter should be valuable to us because they matter to Jesus. And 100% of you in this room and those who will listen to this podcast are responsible for having a compelling reason inside your heart for the hope that Jesus has given you. When we're approached to give a reason for our faith. And so we don't respond with snickers or disparaging remarks. But we respond as we'll see today in the way Jesus responds. Because it's not a perhaps one day these things will be in front of us. It's today. And if you haven't dealt with it already, there may be a day coming in your near future. Where you walk into the living room of someone you love or know or are friends with, and you see that mom and dad have been wiping away tears, and you sit down knee to knee with them, and you say, hey, what's going on? And they begin to tell you of the struggle of one of their kids, and that they've taken the doctor, and they've sought help, and they have said, yes, in fact, your child is dealing with gender dysphoria, and the only solution from the medical community is to give them hormone therapy to help move them through the process. We're in confused and disorienting times. And what we see is, hey, how how do I stay in relationship with that family? How do I love them really, really well? How do I love them really well and at the same time point them to Jesus? Because remember, we're in a series called True North. And we said week one, our true north is God's word. It's Christ himself. We're calibrated to him, so we look to him. So how church Do we do that in these moments? I'm glad you asked. God's word gives us the answers. We're gonna be in the book of John chapter one. I invite you to stand with me out of honor of reading God's word. John chapter one. I'm gonna read verses nine through 14. All of this is talking about Jesus. The Bible says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's referring to Christ's coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, nor of the will of God, of flesh, but of the will of, not of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh, that means Jesus came to earth, he dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God, today I pray that we would be people full of both truth and grace, kindness and conviction. We want to follow your model, your path, your way as we seek out your best as we live in these days and point people to Jesus and love them well. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You be seated. So, Jesus, the one that's talked about in this passage, He's the second member of the Trinity, He's God's Son. Fully God, he comes to earth. That's what it means that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to earth. He was the living, breathing image of God the Father and Jesus comes with his compass pointed towards the kingdom of God, the polarity and the magnetic field of God's glory and God's majesty. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, God's glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Jesus came to do God's will. And then it says he came full of both grace and truth. He entered into a world that hated him and rebelled against him. But he came to do the will of God full of grace and truth. And we as followers of Jesus, we also bear the image of God. And we're called to follow the will of God, and we're called to follow it out with both grace and truth, kindness and conviction. And that's honestly what the world is looking for. They're looking for it. And would someone tell me a truth that I can bet my life on, something I can bank my eternity on, that I can anchor my soul to? Give me that truth, I want it. But they're looking for kindness and grace that leads them to that point. And you and I, the church, were to incarnate live out God's word with grace and truth to others. And quite often, you and I are the only scriptures that other people are reading and we're the only worship songs that they see being sung. And we unapologetically say, hey, we are people of God's word. And as we look at God's word and we try to answer the question of gender identity, the word of God says that gender was created by God to display the glory and goodness of God. From the very beginning, it was God's design in creating the universe to create gender. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, so God created man in his own image, He created for them the image of God. In the image of God, he created them both male and female. In the very beginning, the book of Genesis, the Bible says gender was God's idea. And he created us with specific genders, male and female, so that we could display the glory of his son, Jesus. Because later, when you get into the book of Ephesians, Paul quotes back that Genesis text. And he says, hey, for this reason, a man's going to leave his father and his mother be joined together, and the two become one flesh, talking about marriage, and then he references uh, Genesis. He said, this mystery is profound because what I'm saying refers to Christ and the church. So from the very beginning, listen, gender was designed to display the uniqueness and the glory and goodness of God, specifically to paint a picture of God's relationship with his church. When God created Adam and Eve, and Jesus left heaven to come and rescue us, and he got to earth, God didn't look around and go, oh, hey, wait, 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 wait wait a minute here. Angels, come here, look around. You see, you see man, you see woman, you, you see marriage. That's gonna be a great analogy for my son's death and salvation, man and woman. I'll describe what Jesus did like, like a husband dying for his bride. I, I'll do that. That's not how it happened. God didn't look and see that gender was a good way to display his glory, he created it on purpose that way. It was from the moment of time, God said, this is on purpose, man, woman. And then you look into Revelation, you see the bride of Christ, the church, being reunited with her husband at the wedding supper of the lamb. It's again this idea that, hey, gender was designed to display the glory and goodness of God. And as we talk about gender and we talk about identity, God's word gives us the perfect design. He created them male and he created them female. And you and I and the world can't just choose what spots of the Bible we want to say are true or that we choose to believe. And when people come up to me and say, hey, wait, only spots of the Bible are true and inspired. I always wonder, well, how is it that you then are able to spot what spots are inspired or true? Like, How do you know which ones are true and which ones aren't? But the Bible self-proclaims all of it is true from cover to cover. And we, we say, Jesus, I'll follow it. And so as we continue to talk about the subject of people dealing with gender dysphoria, you, you need to know it's, it's beyond just physical intimacy. It's the physical, cultural, sociological nuances th- that inform who they are. And I know that's a lot. But it's, it's all the things that we put culturally around a gender identity, and the world is confused on what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And I taught through a whole family series this summer, so you can go back to churchatnolensville.com, and there's an entire series on biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. I would commend that to you to go look and see what we believe it means to be a man and what it be- means to be a woman, because we live in a world full of gender stereotypes, and we talked about over the summer, hey, manhood is not just the opposite of being a woman. It's not that, hey, you know, my wife takes care of the house. I don't have to do that. My wife takes care of the kids. I don't need to do that. I know most of their names. That's good enough. My wife is affectionate with the kids. I don't need to cuddle at all. I'm a man. I'm in charge. I make noises. I play football. I chest bump. I can punch hard. Ha ha. takes a little bit more than that to be a man. If you're familiar with the story in Genesis 25 when Isaac was uh, about to pass on the ble- blessing to one of his two sons, Jacob. Do you remember the other one's name? Esau. How was uh, Esau described? Burly, hairy, hunter, eat meat. Who, who got the blessing, Jacob or Esau? Jacob. How was Jacob described in the Bible? Well, he liked to live in tents where it was safe, and where it was cool, and he liked to cook and hang out with his mama. The Bible says he was every bit as much of a man as Esau was. You follow God's will. We, We can't look at gender stereotypes to understand manhood and womanhood. Because if you do that, then you think womanhood is pictured as culturally defined beauty Be passive, stay in the kitchen, and don't have any part in changing the world with us men. And I would say, no, 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 that's not true either. No way. Go back and look at Judges chapter 4 and look at Deborah, who was a female in a male patriarchal society, and she assumed two roles that were historically reserved for men, and that was both judge and military leader, both with God's blessing and command. She broke all sorts of gender stereotypes. Because gender stereotypes are just that, gender Stereotypes. So as we talk about gender identity, don't let's not fall on the wrong ditch. I'm a man and I'm honored to be a man. And, and I'm grateful that in my maleness that I get to display God's glory and goodness at my home and with my family and in our community. But but don't tell my wife we shouldn't break. Some gender stereotypes like, hey, Wade doesn't need to cook, Wade doesn't need to clean, Wade doesn't need to help with the kids because she will respond in her gentle, submissive spirit. If Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he can at least wash the kids. And we often use outdated gender stereotypes that origins are found in the industrial revolution where men went off the factories and women did indeed stay at home. But, but go back to pioneer days and tell a pioneer family that a woman doesn't need to work. Are that a man doesn't need to help with the kids. But we were created male and female on purpose, with a purpose for God's glory. And as we talk about a series, True North, we know that cultural labels are not what we're after. What we're after is God's word. And no one is for my wife's thriving and femininity and her flourishing more than God. And no one is for me stepping into my purpose more than God is, so that I lead and love and sacrifice as God would. And gender was designed to display the glory and goodness of God. So the question in church is, if we know what's true, what do we do when it gets outside of those bounds? How do we respond when others that we know or love cross over into a place that God has has said is not his best or his plan? What do we do? How do we respond in that moment? Well, I want us to live out what Jesus said, that he came full of both grace and truth. And when we walk into a room or we walk into a situation or when we meet others, our lives should illuminate God's word and we should bring both grace and truth into that moment. That's what I want for us. So now you're asking, how then do we do that? Again, y'all ask the best questions. So we have a grid for you and I want you to look at it. We'll put it up here. We've got a grid. And you'll find yourself somewhere on this grid. You see at the top high conviction and at the bottom low conviction. Conviction its a big word that just means something that I hold fast to and believe to be true in my life no matter what. So you either have high conviction, I've got a lot of that. Low conviction, i got a little bit of that. And then you have high kindness over here and you've got low kindness over there. And so I just wanna walk through that, and everybody in here is gonna find yourself somewhere on the grid, and at the end of this, we're gonna show you where you should land as a follower of Jesus, living out grace and truth on this grid, and let's start just by high kindness. How many of y'all in here think you're kind, really kind, high kindness? Yeah, I'm gonna start with y'all because y'all normally don't fight back, okay? Just kidding, just kidding. Um, So if you take high kindness, but you pair it with low conviction, what you get is enabling others. You have high kindness, but you pair it with low conviction. The best that you're ever gonna do for anyone else is just enable them. Your high kindness leads you to loving others really, really well, loving them all the way through their situation, but coupled with a low conviction, you have very few truths that you wanna hold fast to. All you're gonna do is enable them to continue even though you love them really well. Because people that land in this category think that conviction equals condemnation. And scriptures that you would love to quote would be, judge not lest you be what? And God's kindness leads us to repentance. Or you might quote what you thought were words of Jesus that, hey, in love, there is no wrong. Sounds like Jesus, but in fact, those were some of the last words of Charles Manson. So we want to avoid coupling high kindness with low conviction because all we do is enable others to walk in things that both hurt them and hurt others. So what about moving around? What if we have low conviction, but, but we couple it with low kindness? All you're gonna do at that point is just endure and you respond from a posture, hey, the world is spinning out of control, the world is a tough place, let's just lock our doors, stay inside, and have our own little huddles because it's safe in here. Favorite scriptures for you would be like, oh, how long, oh Lord, will you tarry? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, get us out of here. And you believe if you huddle up in your house and if you huddle up in your room and you ignore it, it doesn't exist. If I don't talk about it, it's not an issue. Well, that's 50% of the dysfunction from your family of origin that you say by Not talking about it, it's not an issue, but the reality is if we don't talk about it, it just becomes a bigger problem, and that's what the oppressors are counting on. So we can't just endure, we can't just huddle up, and I know some people go, hey, look, the world is burning. Why do I want to get out, reach my hand out, and risk getting burned as well? I'll just endure. It's because we've been called to go make disciples, and we've been called to embody God's word with both grace and truth so we can't just we can't just endure all right well, well let's keep moving around the grid what if you have really really high conviction but you couple it with low kindness all you're going to do is be enraged at everybody and your favorite scriptures are probably anything from the old testament that has both the wrath of god and abomination in the same sentence i love it bring the wrath Line them up. Kindness, that's a synonym of weakness. Compromise is in another synonym of weakness. And your motto is, hate the sin and punish the sinner. You gallop in on your high horse and you tread the grapes of your own wrath, but then there's carnage in your words. And in all of your high conviction, coupled with low kindness, you're not pointing anyone to Jesus. It's grace and truth. So church, the reality is there's got to be a different way. There has to be a way where you and I can say, this is the only thing that's true. This is the only thing that will bring you life and joy and satisfaction and peace and purpose. There are things that are absolutely right and there are things that are absolutely wrong. We have to be people that don't falter on his word. We have to be people of truth, but we have to couple it with high kindness. So, when you couple high conviction with high kindness, you get people who engage. And we reflect the Father's heart. We're slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love from one generation to the next. So, what if we, church, don't enable and we don't endure and we're not enraged, but instead we engage and with anyone and anybody around us, we bring both grace and truth? And what if, hey, in the name of kindness, we don't just enable, When we see people hurting themselves and hurting others, we're willing to speak the truth, but we speak it with love, grace and truth, kindness and conviction, kindness and truth. Micah 6, 8 says, hey, go do justice and love mercy and then walk with God. When we put together both high conviction, and high kindness, then, church, and only then will we be able to truly engage the whole person with the whole gospel, anywhere, anytime, and then with anybody. Anybody. Look right at me. Anybody. Every person that has been Is or will live on this earth, was created by God and bears the image of God. And they're valuable to God and they must be valuable to us. We're not going to enable them. We don't need to just endure. We certainly don't need to be enraged with them, but we engage with the truth of Scripture. with grace that backs it up as image bearers as light batters no matter who they are no matter their past no matter their struggle grace truth fully present in the life of others with compassion and truth with care and conviction we engage and then as we engage we trust that god is who he says he is and that God can do what only God can do because I can't fix anyone. I can't save anyone. I can't heal anyone. But I can walk in relationship and I can point him to the Jesus who does, can, and will. This isn't about our personal preferences. This is about God's perfect will to bring salvation to all men and women. Grace, truth, conviction, compassion. That's what we're wanting to be as a church. That's what we're wanting to send you out with. Know what you believe. Stand on it, don't waver. But kindness, compassion, long-suffering, friendships, relationship, love. And chances are when we leave, we're all over the grid. You may leave and want to do that, but here's what I know. Muscle memory is a real deal. I was an athlete, and the reason why we did certain drills day after day after day after day after day after day after day day, so that when you get into the game in that moment, muscle memory kicks in, right? So some of us, if we're in other places on the grid, when you leave, muscle memory might just kick in. And you may say, I've always been that way. I was raised that way. I've been trained that way. That's all I've ever known. Listen to me. 99% of every behavior you have at some point in your life was learned. Which means if it was a learned behavior, it can be unlearned and you can learn a better way. So let's don't fall back with, hey, I was raised that way. Following God's will isn't easy, but it's best. And here's really what's at stake. Look around at what God is already doing in this church, and we're a few months old. You're the second of two services. And we're a few months old. We got a brand new building that's about to be open. And everyone tells us 40, 60% more people will come as soon as we open those doors. We will be a very, very large church day one. We already are. A lot of great things happening, a lot of excitement, new life. Great things are happening. But, but here's what is at stake. If, we don't choose the right mission, we don't stay focused on the right priorities, and we don't engage, then in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, when people drive by that building, what they'll do is they'll, they'll talk about a group of people who, who used to live a certain way, who used to have certain priorities, but now it's just a building. Now it's just some and some people who are kind of doing what they feel like is best in the moment. It used to be a place of life and kindness and conviction. But now it's just a building. Kind of an old whitewashed tomb. They lost their prophetic voice. They lost their pastoral care. They didn't want to lean into tough areas. They didn't want to love. They didn't want to reach people outside of their walls. Or we say, you know what? We're going to lean in. And we're gonna engage the whole person with the whole gospel, anywhere, anytime, and with anybody. Solidly rooted in what we believe, but also the most loving people you'll ever meet. High conviction, high compassion. Because the world is asking questions only Jesus can answer. And we have an enemy that wants to destroy, and one of the primary ways he does that, listen, is from within. He doesn't want us slow to anger. He wants us divided. He wants us in fractions. He doesn't want us slow to speak. He doesn't want us eager to listen. This isn't about personal preferences for the sake of the mission. This is about God's glory. And we're inviting you into that. So what I want you to do as we get ready to close, think about what quadrant you're in. And it, it may not have to do with those around you with gender identity, but all of us, we have people around us who are lost and searching and broken and hurting. And what they need is a glorious picture of Jesus with grace and truth, amen? So think about areas where you're, you're prone to enable or endure be enraged, but, but begin thinking about what would it take for me and my life and my sphere of influence to engage? Let's pray together for a minute. And you know, if you don't know what quadrant you're in, you can ask your spouse. She'll tell you real fast. But what would it take in your life for us to be people with high conviction and high kindness. And what about the person in the room, young or old, student or adult, that truly doesn't follow Jesus? You know of God, you've heard of God, but you've never said no to sin and yes to Jesus. We would love for that to be a time for you today. We're so glad that you came. If you're not a follower of Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, you do what you saw some of the others who were baptized do. Is you say, God, I am a sinner and I need a savior. I am broken and I need healed. And you say, Jesus, I know you left heaven and came to earth. And were crucified, buried, but rose again for me. And I accept your sacrifice and new life for me. Do that. And then tell someone today. Tell them. Write it on a communication card, drop it in, go to Next Steps or tell a friend that brought you, but don't leave here today without telling someone. We want to celebrate that in your life. for the others who are followers of Jesus, remind us again that we're, we're normally okay when people sin as long as their sin's not different from us. But church, regardless of the sin, it's wicked. And God's, God's paid for it. And our sin that we have isn't any better. Still put Jesus on a cross. And may we be a church that says, hey man, the same grace that found me, the same love that chased me, the same God who pulled me up is the same God that can do that for you regardless of who you are, whole gospel, whole person, anywhere, anytime, anybody. God, help us to be those people. We know who we are. We know who we belong to. Let us be a people full of mission, pointing others to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.